You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to the Historical Yarns Podcast, the show where we talk about knitting from the past and bring it into the present. Welcome to episode five of season one of the Historical Yarns Podcast. I'm Rachel Roden. And I'm Heather Boyd. And today we're talking about Orenburg lace knitting. In episodes one through four of the podcast, we talked about the origins of Shetland and Estonian lace. So in this episode, we've moved on to Orenburg lace. So Orenburg lace is, as you might have guessed, it is in Russia, southern Russia, on the Ural River, and it's near the border uh, with Kazakhstan. So we're talking about really cold climate, winters, of course. High Um, elevation. Yeah, high elevation, really cold, basically. So once again, following the same thing, (laughs) cold place, lots of knitting. Knitting tradition. (laughs) (laughs) But this... In this particular place, it actually is one of the only places in the world that Orenburg lace, or the only place that Mm -hmm. Orenburg lace can be produced because Orenburg actually relies on a special type of goat down Mm -hmm. from these goats that only live in this area. And in fact, the climate is so crucial to how their hair develops that the other countries have tried to export them and grow them for mm-hmm. their down and they it won't work they just won't produce the down they won't or they turn it, it turns into regular sheep down oh, really? regular sheep wool oh. yeah so whatever it is about this climate whatever combination of temperature and humidity and elevation whatever it is that makes the goats produce this very fine mm-hmm. um, down which is combed off of them each year they don't even shear it they comb oh, it interesting. yeah yes yeah, so and from each sheep they only get about a pound of down Mm. so not only is it rare uh but it's you know not only is it localized but it's also kind of rare so not very much of it yeah it's the finest goat fiber that Mm. can be produced yeah i think i read that it like it's compared to cashmere, like mm-hmm. similar in feel and fluffiness and mm-hmm. softness, but it's not called cashmere, I think, because of the region, mm-hmm. right? Kind of like how champagne is only champagne in the re- the champagne region yeah. and everywhere else it's sparkling wine. It's kind of like that same thing from what I understood mm-hmm. when I was reading about it. Yep. So it's super special. Yeah. Yeah. Very soft. It makes me want to find some so I can touch it. I know, right? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen any yarn made with it or I I don't think so either yeah I mean I read something while we were researching this about it it also being um, it's finer even than angora goat oh wow which I was like I didn't even know there was an angora goat did you angora rabbits yeah I guess well maybe I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I knew that. Yeah, I'm I was, not sure I was I surprised either. to learn it. Anyway, so yeah. if you think of how, how Angora rabbit yeah. hair feels, and like Angora goat hair, I'm sure mm-hmm. is just, it's as just fine. Yeah. This is even finer than that. Yeah. So, um, and in terms of microns, like we're talking about science here, it is actually smaller. Yeah, yeah. And it's that super fluffy stuff. So one thing that I really noticed when I was like looking at examples of these shawls, they are, they've got that halo all over them because it's mm-hmm. such a fine, fluffy yarn um, similar to Angora really mm-hmm. it kind of blurs the the stitches a little bit so mm-hmm. it just makes this beautiful like fluffy lofty lofty shawl mm-hmm. okay so as from what we know about the early development of it this is an older tradition from what we can tell beginning 
in the early 1800s, probably, maybe even before then. And it was a way for women to basically bring income to their families. You know, it's kind of a desolate area where it was developed. So mm-hmm. again, it's enterprising women who are trying to find a way to, to make some extra income. And they, I guess, realized how amazing these goats were and started spinning up the yarn and mm-hmm. making these beautiful shawls with it. And and. Like Shetland, they have the, instead of sheep to shawl, it's goat to shawl. I mean, the mm-hmm. women do every single step of the process. So they mm-hmm. comb the sheep, then they hand spin the goat fibers into this delicious yarn. And then uh, they do the knitting and the marketing of it as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a completely self-contained industry, I yeah. guess you would say. Really, so really neat. Mm-hmm. the only thing that, that they've changed over the years is that instead of it being pure goat fiber now, you'll often mm-hmm. see it blended with silk because it makes it more durable. Oh. It makes them less expensive to produce because it is so time consuming to mm-hmm. <laughs> comb the goats yeah. and, and hand spin their fibers. Um, it allows them to produce more because they can use, you know, commercially produced silk fibers to blend with the mm-hmm. goat hairs. And then also I read that the blended fiber holds its shape better than the goat fiber. That makes sense because those really fluffy fibers like that mm-hmm. tend to get soft yeah, over time and yeah. just kind of lose their shape some. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's the fiber. And then, of course, the needles that they were working with were primarily metal, like stainless steel. And I guess they liked them to be really, really short. Like mm-hmm. They didn't like working with long long needles and Mm. they called them pins similar to how Shetland folks called their needles knitting pins. Um, The Russian word is spitsa, I think Mm -hmm. it is. And I thought it was neat because it's also the same word for bicycle spokes. So (laughs) can you imagine? (laughs) Sort of similar. Yeah. And like, I guess if you're working on such fine lace, you would be using a piece of metal that thin. (laughs) It's like a size zero. Oh my gosh. Imagine if you lost that in the couch. Oh yeah. That's never coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Or you sit on it. Oh, no. I've definitely done that before. that's even horrible. Yeah, it's awful. Oh, my gosh. So as far as the knitting goes, the stitches are on a garter stitch foundation, similar to the Shetland uh, tradition that we've already talked about. Makes a very squishy fabric, of course. And then you can also tell that it's an older tradition because they didn't have the pearl stitch yet when they first started creating these techniques. Another super interesting thing. This is like, this was the biggest thing that I learned when um, researching this is that they don't use the SSK or slip, slip knit because I know usually you would use that to get your stitches to slant in whatever direction you wanted Mm -hmm. them to slant. But they apparently the, these particular stitch patterns, the slant is not a big, yeah, it's just not important to them the way they're constructed or whatever. Maybe that's why they don't have that many stitch patterns. Maybe, yeah. So all their stitches are built on a yarn over and knit two together foundation. Um, so yeah, I guess the slant is not important. It would, I would find it really hard to let go of that because I feel like the slant is always so important. Yeah. Um, I haven't knitted an Orenberg shawl, so I haven't either. Yeah. But they do look beautiful. They do. And if you, if you're not familiar with what they look like, it is, it's, almost like I would say almost like a combo of Shetland and Estonian appearance like yeah they have texture to them somewhat but they also have that same square shape or rectangular shape and like a really airy 
look to them mm-hmm. and that sort yeah. of cobwebby look. Yeah. Cause they still do that similar like center section and then your inner border, outer border, you know, that you're attaching in various different ways, like picking up stitches and grafting and all the, the other techniques that we talked about in the other traditions. So they're constructed very similarly, but they only have 10 different stitches that they would use. So I love the names of them. I actually have them written down here, so I'm going to read them. Mm. Peas, honeycomb, fish eyes, mouse prints. So cute. Strawberries, large strawberries, cat's paws, accordion, chain hearts, and diagonals. Those are the 10 stitches. That's it. That's all of them. Oh, that's amazing. I know. (laughs) Um, It feels a little bit limiting when you first see that there's only 10, but when you see the beautiful shawls that they have made in in combination of these different stitches it's it's amazing Mm -hmm. the different variety that they are able to get with that yeah especially if you use one motif in the center and Mm -hmm. then another for the for the border and another for the edging I mean Mm -hmm. then you've got you know a lot of visual interest there Mm -hmm. yeah they also uh their their borders now I actually didn't read too much about how they construct this very specific borders but they're but they called their borders teeth actually because Mm -hmm. Whereas the other ones we've talked about have had sort of like a scalloped or a wavy edge. Mm-hmm. That's the, blocked into shape. Yeah. The, yeah. The these, teeth are knitted in. Yes. Yeah. So they are, they're like, they're very, very structural mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the other ones where you have to kind of force it to happen in the blocking, mm-hmm. uh, which is just another aspect about them that is different. But I like that a lot. It gives it kind of a zigzag look along yeah. the edge there. Yeah, that like sawtooth or whatever. Sawtooth, yeah. Yeah. And then also when you're knitting the pieces, they're, they are apparently very particular about making sure that you have a slip stitch edge. Um, oh, actually, I don't think we mentioned this in our previous episodes, but one way, there's lots of different ways to make a nice, easy edge for picking up stitches. And with Shetland, and I'm not sure about Estonian, but definitely with Shetland, they do a yarn over at the beginning of the row. And then the next stitch, you you would basically bind off the next stitch. So you knit it and then knit the third stitch and then bind off the second stitch. And yeah, really interesting, right? So it leaves a little loop. Yeah, it leaves a little loop that is really easy to go back and pick up later on when you're adding your next panel or your border or whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So um, they did that a lot in those. And then for the Orenberg tradition, they tended to just do a slip stitch edge, which is also really easy to pick up stitches into because a slip stitch edge will basically represent two rows. Mm-hmm. So you'll get one stitch for every two rows that you knit. So yeah, that's the uh, some of the construction techniques for, for making your shawls. And they do the squares and rectangular and... Uh, you can see more modern ones that are triangular, but they they tended to stick in the square realm more mm-hmm. more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So as far as the types of garments that they made, I mean, we're talking pri- primarily about the very lace, the fine lace cobweb mm-hmm. shawls. But Orenberg lace was also used in their everyday sorts of shawls and garments that they wore just around mm-hmm. to do their work or whatever. And those are often made of much heavier uh, materials. Yeah, I don't think they used the fine Orenberg fiber, the down, mm-hmm. to make those. Or maybe they did. I'm. 
I just know that they were thicker. So mm-hmm. they would use a thicker yarn. So it'd be spun heavier or plied or many plies, whatever. Mm-hmm. They would make these heavier pieces that they could actually wear outside because it was so cold that the those airy things that they would make to sell to the upper class just weren't, they weren't going to cut it for <laughs> working on a farm or I whatever mean, yeah, the day-to-day life as was. As warm as it is, yeah. it's still full of holes. Yeah, I mean, exactly. we talked about this before. <laughs> yes. Lace is inherently holy. Yeah. <laughs> the wind blows. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the names of those pieces, they would call them kerchiefs or patinkas. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like your everyday, like working woman kind of, kind of shawl that they would make. Mm-hmm. But the, the fine ones of course were extremely light and airy and gauzy. So beautiful, super beautiful. All right. Well, that is it for Orenburg Lace. We're going to take a quick break and then we will come back and talk about the next section of the knit along pattern. Welcome back to episode five. So if you've been knitting along with us, you should be uh, ready to move on to the other side of your shawl. Um, If you haven't grabbed a copy of the pattern yet, you can get that on Ravelry. It's the Zetland shawl, Z-E-T-L-A-N-D. If you just search for that, it'll come right up for you. Um, And you might want to listen back to the previous episodes, too, because we have broken down all of the stitches and the construction and the materials and all that for you back then. So check that out and then head back over and join us for the section five. So, like I said, section five, it feels like it's just one little section, but it's actually a giant chunk of knitting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And it's knitting you've just done recently. So you may be feeling that like the same sort of thing you feel about second socks, you know, the second sock syndrome. Second wing syndrome. But you got to get over that hump because Mm -hmm. this is worth it. And looking at the shawl and also touching it, I'm going to steal it from Rachel. (laughs) She just better be prepared. Um, But yeah, I love the shape and, and everything about it. And honestly, you know, now that you've done it once should be easy right you know what it's like motivational find your favorite show Mm -hmm. like or if you haven't caught up on our podcast yet just binge Binge. listen to the podcast while you are just slogging through the rest of this and it's not a slog because these these types of lace are so interesting they definitely keep your mind engaged and then you do have the break Mm -hmm. of the rest of the garter stitch rows mixed in between so yeah for sure i i definitely yeah get you some tv that you can maybe just listen to because you're gonna have to be looking at the pattern the whole time Mm so rewatch friends or something like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what or the the harry potter movies i love i love rewatching those while i'm doing something that i can't look at (laughs) oh i know right i've been reading all the harry potter books i just finished the seventh one or just rereading them oh i should because i have yeah i don't you guys don't know this but i have a little baby he's only four months old now but i can't concentrate on any real books at night because i'm so tired so I just need something that I don't have to um, concentrate yeah, on. Yeah, you don't have to think remember, about. Really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do that with knitting too. When I have to actually follow a pattern, mm-hmm. and you, you will with this. I had my charts open next to me the whole time mm-hmm. on my iPad, and then I have this little highlighter bar that I move down. I kind of use it like highlighter tape. Mm-hmm. That's how I keep track of my place in my charts. And I thought like I might get to a point where I would just remember what the next row was. No, uh, uh-uh, mm-hmm. not happening. No, not um, when they're long, and not, also have they're separate types of lace within. Yeah. 
yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're increasing and decreasing, mm-hmm. you know, to get the the chevron shape or whatever. So mm-hmm. anyway. Just... But if you are a challenge motivated person, as mm-hmm. like I used to be, I think, before I had children, <laughs> when I used to have to do knitting like this, I would set a timer. Oh, would you? And then you? I'd see if I could beat the timer oh. to have like a certain, you know, get my row done in a certain number of minutes and oh, then dedication. calculate my stitches per minute, you know. Oh, my God. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm mean, hitting Olympics you, over here. Yeah. If, that, if that's the type of thing that motivates you, set your little timer and yeah. like, you know, do a little stopwatch mm-hmm. at the end of each row or whatever and see how I fast you can get. I think I might be kind of sad about it, though. So I'm not going to like how slow it actually is. You don't don't want to give up. Well, I'm a thrower, not a picker. And throwing is just inherently slower. But you know what, Rachel? You're a plotter. Like you you get it done, though. Like that's that's the thing. Even if you you don't think you're a fast knitter, but you finish (laughs) projects faster than faster knitters do because you just keep going. Yeah, that's true. I will knit for hours in a row, for sure. (laughs) Without a problem. You knit everywhere. Like um, I've knit with this girl in the movie theaters y'all oh yeah, yeah. give me some stockinette in the round in restaurants everywhere if you see her yeah. reaching into her purse you know she's taking out some knitting that's how it works anyway so yeah, yeah. just take yeah. this project along with you get oh. a, a pretty mm. knitting bag <laughs> maybe and your charts <laughs> or your instructions <laughs> be kind of rough, as, but as you long can do as it. you're not drinking you yeah. should be fine right like yeah, for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but basically all of that is to say that you are repeating exactly what you have just done mm-hmm. on the other side of the shawl. And there's it's not even like a mirror or anything like that because it's the everything is all symmetrical. So mm-hmm. it it's just the exact same thing again. Yeah. So, so you don't have to worry about reversing anything. No, just go mm-hmm. back and follow the exact pattern instructions. Mm-hmm. And then when you reach the glorious end, mm-hmm. it's time for blocking. Yeah. yeah. So we'll go over like specific finishing and blocking techniques and stuff next week but we thought we would just uh, give you a list of our favorite tools so that you would know what you got to get your hands on now to be ready for blocking when you're finished Um, I think the main one um, and I'm going to let Heather tell you guys about this because she uses them in a way that I hadn't thought about and I'm definitely going to try next time I'm blocking something but there is a tool from Knitter's Pride called the Knit Blockers and man are they the most handy tool that were ever invented for for blocking they've changed my life (laughs) i will never go back to blocking with steel pins ever no way Mm -mm. so they're basically blocks of like acrylic probably yeah like a hard plastic plastic with needles embedded in Mm -hmm. rows and they come in different sizes so there's some that are as small as like three needles long and some Mm -hmm. that are as i think it's four and eight four pins and some that are eight pins Mm -hmm. okay so yeah but they're ingenious because you can grab a whole sort of section of your side of your knitting or your end and you can block it completely straight mm-hmm. and um, I don't know how your blocking mats are they need to be used with blocking mats we oh, should reiterate sure. that they have yeah. to have some sort of foam mat because the pins are very sharp mm-hmm. and in fact if you accidentally like poke it through on yourself or on your prized mahogany table you're going to be pretty pissed so <laughs> I've definitely drawn blood it, with these yes. before they are sharp so. <laughs> yeah they are and um, so I would put even a towel underneath your blocking mats if you're doing it oh, on your on a on, on a surface nice. that you don't want damage because mm-hmm. if they come through the backside, they're going to poke whatever's yep. underneath. But they're, it's great that they're thin and sharp because they go right between your stitches mm-hmm. um, on the edge of your work and you pull it out to whatever shape you want. And the great things about them are is that 
you know, if you, you just really need one set, you can get as many sets as you want. I mm-hmm. mean, go for it and block, use them all the way around the perimeter of your project. Yeah. But the other thing you can do with them is in something with long straight sides like this, you can thread a piece of sewing thread, a thin piece of yarn that's color fast, um, cotton string mm-hmm. or whatever through one of the holes on the knit blockers. They have these special little holes poked in the top corners of them, mm-hmm. thread through a string there and tie it off and then put it the other end on a tapestry needle and sort of whip stitch down the edge of your project like um, a pretty pretty far away like a like every inch or so right yeah, like you don't inch, have to do it every two inches yeah. yeah just so you don't want to bind up the edge you just want to get it on the very outside edge mm-hmm. and then pull it as long as you want it you know like keep going until you get to the end of your project leave yourself some slack in your thread so that you can pull your project down along the thread. Yeah, however then, far you want to stretch your project out, make, yeah, make sure you've got that much give in mm-hmm. the thread itself. In the thread that you're using, mm-hmm. yeah. And then tie the other end of the thread through another knit blocker at the opposite end, um, stick it in the blocking mat, and then you're done with that side. Like that thread threaded through the two holes will keep it perfectly straight. Mm-hmm. And then you do the same thing on the other side. You can even do that on your ends. Mm-hmm. I prefer to like put knit blockers all along the edge the, of mine. The short end you yeah, mean? Yeah. One end, and then like lay it all out on my mats and and get the sides done mm-hmm. and then do the other end. And, yeah. Um, Anyway, it's, it's so ingenious. just an ingenious pro, you yeah, know, product. Yeah, I, I had never used them that way. I just have two sets of them because mm-hmm. I didn't know that you could run the string down in between and pull it tight for blocking. So that is super cool. You just wanted the Teaching colorful ones. I know, See, I Rachel did. I wanted the rainbow them, they, were not, they were not colored. They were just white. white. And now yeah. she's got a set of the interesting rainbow ones. And well, so. they're prettier. Yeah, so I had to have them. <laughs> but um, So that method really does the same thing as like a blocking wire would mm-hmm. do. So if you have blocking wires, they work the same way. This is going to be a significantly long project. I don't know if you'll have a wire that long or you have to combine yeah, two wires. Yeah, I think probably like three wires along the long edge mm-hmm. if you choose to use wires. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you'll just be pulling that out and using T-pins. You can use knit blockers with the wires as well. Mm-hmm. I've definitely done that before too, but I kind of abandoned it when it's a nice straight edge because the knit blockers do such a good job on their own. They mm-hmm. don't really need the wires, but mm-hmm. you know, if you prefer, you can do it that way. Yep. And, and T-pins too. I mean, they still get the job done. We're mm-hmm. no, no, throw no shade on T-pins. They, they're good for what they are, but we just have this like love affair with this one particular mm-hmm. tool. Yeah. So. <laughs> and if you have small children around your house and you don't like to see them walking up to you, with the steel straight pin in their mouth, yeah. then you're, uh, you may want to try the other way. Yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> well, happened to me. You know, I was just thinking the knit blockers are actually kind of similar to the Shetland or the, I guess it's all the stuff, the, the different groups of people would use those blocking frames yes. with the pins in them. Mm-hmm. So the blockers are actually kind of mimicking what they would do with those those big frames. Mm-hmm. So in this case, like if you're trying to keep it historical, it, it would be the closest option to, mm-hmm. to what the ladies would do 100 years ago. Yeah. So yeah, that would be cool. Um, so the other thing, you're definitely going to need a measuring tape for this, right? Oh, to make sure your sides are symmetrical. For sure. Yeah. Like you can kind of like let the yarn dictate how big it gets. You know, you don't want to over stretch mm-hmm. but if you but you do want both sides to be equal so make sure you got a tape measure handy so that you're pulling the two from the middle point out to the same length that's all i would recommend mm-hmm. for that 
Okay. And then also get some, get a nice uh, soak wash or wool rinse of some sort. I like the kind that you don't have to rinse out, that mm-hmm. you can just soak and then gently squish the water out and mm-hmm. then and, and not have to rinse it out. So like now, soak and eucalyptus. Would you recommend people doing the towel method where they roll this in a towel or is it too felty? Mm, it might be too felty. I did not roll it in a towel when I blocked it. Mm-hmm. I just gently pressed the water out. Okay. Now we live in Nevada. It's super dry here. So even though I didn't roll it to get mm-hmm. the water out, it's still dried in like a day. Okay. So um, You can always put it in your washing machine on just the spin only setting. Mm-hmm. If you have a spin only setting, it will spin all the water out for you yep. and you won't have to rub it against anything, yep. but the metal bin of your or washing machine. if you have a machine. giant salad spinner, you can do it in there oh, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be some size salad spinner though. It would though. be a really giant shawl. salad spinner. <laughs> You're fitting 950 yards of shawl in there. That's a lot. I mean, I don't even know how you would pump it. You'd have to step on it. Okay, that's a terrible recommendation. Don't do that. (laughs) No, I want to see somebody try. I'm interested now. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. I think that covers all the materials that you'll probably need for blocking. And and as always, it's whatever your favorite tools are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely like blocked using T-pins through a garbage bag into a bed because I didn't have mats uh-huh. and I didn't have wires and I didn't have anything. So, yeah. you know, use what you've got available. Yeah, but <laughs> you can make it work. But these are the tools that we recommend because we like them. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for um, both the Section 5 repeat slog knitting section (laughs) Um, and also the items that you're going to need for blocking so check back next week and we will give you some more tips on how to get the right shape and what to do with your blocking Um, and also how to finish it up in general so yeah thanks for listening and happy Happy knitting. knitting thanks so much for listening you can find me on Ravelry and on all the socials as Rachel Unraveled and you can find Heather on Ravelry as HeatherBoyd84. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you found it. And we'll see you next time. Happy knitting! This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.